before we get into the show, let's give some love. Neatessentials.com. Uh, they're actually hosting a screening for Lost Track Atlantic, episode two, May 30th. So this weekend uh, at Byron Theater in Byron Bay, Australia from 6 p.m. onward. Tickets are 15 bucks. So if you're near Byron Bay and you want to watch Lost Track Atlantic's episode two with the cast and crew, uh, go check that out. Have you ever been to Byron Bay? I have. Yeah, it's pretty cool, huh? When was the last time you were there? Um, probably 07 or 05, something like that. Yeah. I was there 2019, and I'm afraid I missed its real oh, yeah, kind of yeah. epic heyday. No, even when I was there, it was, it was kind of like Laguna Beach. Yeah. You know, like over the top, uber groovy. I don't know. It's weird. I'm in a, such a weird space regarding our surf culture and our, our demographic and, and surfers as a whole, surfers as a whole, you know, like, I don't know, surfers are the worst, you know, and I'm right there with them. <laughs> Part of me is like, I, I'm really kind of romanticizing the 1970s when a big part of the surf culture was like, F you. Yeah. F you to your contest, especially here in North America. You know, there was a big sort of black wetsuits, whiteboards, screw the commercialism, we're out. And of course, we're way too down the beaten path now. But I think Byron was pretty cool, probably, you know, in the 70s and probably early 80s, but probably even into the 90s. I don't know when they lost the boat, but um, it feels like there was a regentrification of the of the region and all the grooviness had to leave and got placed with like, I don't even know what, just like yoga parlors. I agree. By the way, I love yoga. I'm not anti-yoga. That's what's, well, that's what I was thinking the entire time is I fully agree with everything you're saying, but I still like an acai bowl and I like a, <laughs> and I like a bottle of kombucha. Me too. So it's kind of like, is I go there and I cringe in the same way you're saying for the exact same reasons. And then I'm like, man, I'm really grateful that there's like an organic, you know, <laughs> sandwich shop right here. I would absolutely, even, even though it's $15 <laughs> a sandwich. No problem. I've signed me up for the yoga class and the sandwich, but um, there's, there's like this. And I guess it's just old guy romanticism or something like that. I don't know what it is, but part of it got started with, with Carlos, I was reading Carlos Zamora's thing on Instagram about, um, you know, I guess yesterday. Did you Save follow it for the show? Save it for the oh, show. Aren't we okay. in the show? Pre this is pre-roll. So neatessentials.com. And then of course, and surfnvs.com for all your surfboard finning needs. Uh, yes. Their promo code is the word podcast, and you will save 10% off your apex series fins, which I've got a solid rotation of fins going right now, and I am having a blast. I'm riding the same board, swapping in three different sets. Um, so fins are expensive in general. And when I was coming up, I hated buying fins because I was on a tight budget. And it's like, if I could come up with the 600 bucks for the surfboard, it was hard to come up with the extra hundred for fins. And so not only are NVS's fins less expensive than what you're probably uh, used to paying, our promo code saves you an additional 10%. So surfnvs.com. On to today's show, Scott, call us in. As we see some movement at the takeoff zone, it's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. 
A clean entry, this thing holding open, it spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit, spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Guy. Yeah, freaking guy. Welcome, everybody. It is Spit. It's Wednesday. It is May the 26th. Um, actually, four months to the day from uh, the boardroom surfboard show presented by U.S. Blanks taking place in Del Mar. David, good morning. Good morning. Is that enough time for you to pull it all together, Scott? Oh, absolutely. No, we're. I've got so much cool stuff going on with it. I'm very excited about it all. Um, I feel like that's around the corner and it's not enough time for me to pull together anything that I need to pull together, but I'm excited for it. Nevertheless. Yeah. It's going to be cool. It's going to be cool. So um, quick. Yeah. And, and we are excited about it. Um, so one of the things we're doing is best in show, right? So we just put out a call for entries for best in show and we're asking every board builder in the world, the global board building community to, to put an entry into best in show. Um, the first prize, there's two categories. There's the alternative performance surfboard category, and there's the longboard category. So you can pick one of those two categories and build your board. And uh, we have $2,500 in cash and prizes to the first place winner in each division, in each category. And we also have prizes for second and third place as well and that whole thing is presented by zio baffa organic italian wines and um so anyway call for entries send us an email saying you want to be involved you don't have to have a booth at the show to put a board in best in show what we're trying to do is is get all of the most beautiful um you know like highly crafted surfboards uh under one roof for a couple of days and we've got judges that are going to that are going to do uh, put a discerning eyeball on it and take a peek at them. And um, yeah. Who are the judges and what is the judging criteria? Uh, wow. Okay. So the judges are Joe Roper, Wayne Rich and Peter St. Pierre. If you don't know those guys, they are um, Californians who are uh, highly, uh, you know, they've been in the board building process for 40, 50 years. Peter's in Peter's case, maybe close to 60 years, but um, so those guys are going to be um, taking a look at it. The judging criteria, let me see if I can pull that up real quick, just to, oh, I got it right here. Wouldn't you know? So the judging criteria is um, first and foremost, David, the boards must be functional surfboard designs. Number two, the quality of the craftsmanship from nose to tail, including but not limited to shape, lamination, artwork, sand job, the finish. Every aspect of the craftsmanship must be top quality and will be scrutinized. In addition, David, within the alternative performance category, only the judges, excuse me, the judges will also take into account materials and fabrication. So this is an opportunity to incorporate state of the art and or cutting edge materials and or unique build processes. So we're asking you to impress the judges 
if you're building in the alternative performance category. And that might mean space age um, composites. That might mean all sorts of new, you know, different fin designs or whatever it might be. You need to incorporate all that stuff. Speaking of which, because you brought up at the beginning, we talked NVS fins there, one of our sponsors. You know Ian Folky, right? Mm-hmm. I think husband. Are they married, Rosie Hodge and him? Yeah, they have a newborn kid too. Yeah, they have a newborn kid, but I wasn't sure if they were married. But anyway, they're married. Yeah. Ian Folky, um, his father Bob is a San Clemente local, has been forever. Bob and and his cohort Norman Norm from 180 Surfboards have designed a pretty unique fin system. Have you seen this thing? No. So imagine when you do a turn on a surfboard, your fin turns with the, the, I don't know what the right phrase is, but turns with the surfboard. In other words, in other words, the, the fin isn't static. It's dynamic. So you turn this way and the fin turns, the fin moves. Is it the fin itself that's flexing or the base of the fin has like a hinge on it? Thank you. The base of the fin, and I, I hope I'm not butchering it for, for these guys. I should probably get them on a podcast and have them talk about it. But does this help at all? No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> anyway, the base of the fin moves. This is one of those things where I'm like, hey, man, we've got some state-of-the-art stuff happening, you know, from Bob and Norm at 180 Surfboards. I'm actually going to be test riding one of their boards um and i'll I'll, hopefully i'd like to get you on it too you know let's do it so is it just the fin system or is it they're building you have to get the entire board and it just comes with that fins i i'm not sure i think you can just get the fin system um but it's it's one of those you know they do have great surfboards too great surfboard designs but i think the fin system is really where um they're kind of outside of the box and it's pretty exciting. I, I think it's one of those things that a lot of times um, stuff comes along that's just too too good to be true almost. Like, And it's hard for the conservative nature of, of the surfboard manufacturing industry to sort of adopt stuff. Yeah. And you need sort of a tipping point before everyone goes, oh yeah, that does make tons of sense, you know? Yeah, totally. And uh, hopefully I think we're going to get there with this fin design, but we'll see, you know? So let me get clarification. Does the fin itself flex or is it the box that has a hinge built into it? The box has, I believe the box has a hinge built into it. So the fin swivel or something. Yeah. There's like a swivel. So the fin, the fin can kind of do this, you know, like a fish's. Yeah. But, but that might be too fluid. It's more like, eh, eh, you know, like, you know what I mean? Interesting. Yeah. I'm interested. I'm listening. Yeah. Yeah, I am too. And I'm just trying to point out, these are the types of things in the alternative performance category that I think are going to get the attention of the judges. But again, understand first and foremost, the boards must be functional surfboard designs. Um, So they're basically asking you to already have proof of concept. Don't come in with some crazy, you know, over the top, you know, spacecraft yeah. yeah this isn't like the experimental uh no uh show or this is best in show so yeah so anyway um 
call for entries to all of you out there, board builders around the world. Um, send us an email. Let us know you want to be in. It's free to enter. It doesn't cost you a dime. You just got to build the board and show up and Sweet. you're in. Yeah. Sweet. How many boards are you expecting to be in the show? Well, gosh, the last, you know, the last few years, Best in Shows had quite a few boards, probably 30 or 40 boards. Um, we have two categories, like I said, longboard and alternative performance. So I'd love it if there was, you know, a lot, you know, I yeah. have space. I have a much bigger space this year. It's actually going to be like a walk-in sort of, you know, 60 by 60 square foot space for all of the boards for everyone to be able to walk in and take it all in you know and does the board builder keep the board yes the board builder will keep the board and the prize and oh by the way you can go on to boardroomshow.com and get all the information about how to sign in how to send us an email and all the um all the do's and don'ts got it Uh, is is there going to be any sort of mask or vaccine protocol or do we have to wait until we're closer to understand what that looks like? Oh, no, 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 no. Things are opening up. Um, if you have um, indoor events of 5,000 or less, you don't have to have masks or anything like that here in San Diego. Okay. Yeah. Very, very good. You, it is recommended that you get vaccinated. Yeah. Um, just so that my insurance doesn't go through the roof. Gotcha. Um, so you in the pre-roll where you were starting to talk about the Malibu situation, there was, Oh, <laughs> yeah, a we meeting were talking was about- held, a meeting was held yesterday and Instagram was posted four days ago. Yeah. I don't know too much about it. I just kind of, I was scanning beach grit this morning and Chaz had written something about it basically. Um, and so maybe you have as much insight as I do. I just thought it was, I just thought it was fascinating. Basically, Carla Zamora, who I know, and I know her husband, um, she's a Malibu local. Her father was, was, and probably still is. I don't know. He might have passed. I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, he, they have, Carla has like, is fed up with all the vows apparently. And she's basically wants a solution. She's asking people to gather together. That was yesterday at the wall at Malibu and try to come up with, quote unquote, strategies to um, to make the protocol of catching waves at Malibu, um, you know, to have some semblance of order, I guess, is what she's seeking. I really can't speak for her, but can I speak for her? Yeah, please do. I'll read from her Instagram post. She said, imagine your home became an amusement park, new faces flocking daily to claim their e-ticket pass except instead of getting in line, a free-for-all of bodies bob and weave, twist and tangle in hopes of getting a thrill. They don't even acknowledge your existence, much less recognize your local status. Correct me if I'm wrong, but just two decades ago, being from Malibu, quote, carried an air of prestige. We were masters of our spot, encouraged, even pressured to surf at the highest caliber possible and given no leeway for forgiveness when we faltered. It was a chaotic, it was chaotic then too, but there was a method to the madness, control to the chaos. Mm. Rules were not just established, they were enforced. If you publicly cried about it, you felt it even harder. Uh, I'll skip the next paragraph. It's a little bit much. Fast forward 20 years, 
A pandemic single-handedly changed people's lives forever and increases the surfing population by astronomical proportions. As an outdoor activity relatively safe from exposure, 2020 saw nearly every other Joe take up surfing and every other schmo become a surf coach. Young adults were uh, already versed in the sport, began flocking in droves to park, no, camp in the lot for days on end. Note, this has been a problem prior to COVID. Photographers and videographers arrive with their own talent to rape and pillage the waves, shunning the existing talent who have paid their dues. So what do we do? Do we throw up our arms, sigh in defeat, and let the guests dictate the state of our home? I will not. I cannot. Please join me yesterday at 4 p.m. at the wall to discuss, create, and implement a strategy to take back our home. Wow. So a lot there to digest, right? The first thing is um, this concept of home, right? And by the way, I, I got to say in the past, especially when I worked at Surfer, I was, um, I was as ignorant, I would suggest, and as self-centered and as um, myopically sort of I thought I was as entitled as some of this comes off. And um, luckily, as I'm getting older, I'm starting to slowly mature. But, um, and I, I, I like Carla a lot and I, and I'm, and I like Ian and I, I just think this is a little misguided because this concept of home, <clears throat> this concept that Malibu is, is somebody's home and other people have to live by the rules of somebody's home. Um, it's just a slippery slope. You know, Malibu's a state park. <laughs> <laughs> On PCH, no less. It's not exactly yeah. private in any way, shape or form. So if your entire sort of soliloquy and basis for this is that this is my, this is our home and people aren't respecting my home. That's, that's just kind of a non-starter, unfortunately. Like, there's no amount of planning you can do, uh, you know, at First Point Malibu to stop the onslaught. And it's kind of interesting that when you think historically, this must have been the way that the guys that were first surfing at Malibu in, say, the 50s felt when Gidget came out. Because Gidget created this incredible, oh, my God, overnight, almost overnight, there was a mass quantity of newbies, um, you know, say, from, like, I don't know the exact years, let's say from 59 to 65, those years just like saw a crazy influx of surfers at Malibu. And those original guys, you know, like the Matt Kivlins of the world, they must have just went, I'm out, you know, and a lot of them yeah. did. A lot of them just said, and that's kind of how you and I are. And Carlos feeling, I think, is like, I either have to just give up and just like take up mountain biking or... I have to adapt and that means deciding to have some strategy meeting at the wall or it means getting a bigger board or whatever, however you adapt. But I sense that a lot of surf spots around Southern California, a lot of the guys that have been surfing there forever feel this way right now. They're like, I think I'm just going to quit, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or adapt. Like I'm sort of adapting. Like I'm trying to find little beach breaks, you know, I'm doing that thing where like, I'm the guy that'll surf middles instead of lowers or church. You know what I mean? Like I'm just trying to find a, some serenity off to myself and if the wave quality is lesser. That's cool. I'll go to Mexico to get the perfect waves or whatever, you know, to get, you know, super good waves or whatever. But 
I don't know. What are your thoughts on Carla's hope for creating a strategy and her, her comments on Instagram? I know that they're not being taken well, at least on Beach Grit. I didn't read Beach Grit's article and that comes with all of its own kind of, yeah. um, you know, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, but look, I don't think there's only two options. You said, what do you quit and take up mountain biking? No, there's a bunch of other options in between. And I think a very reasonable option is meeting at the wall to discuss a strategy for everybody. You know, it's not, let's start throwing rocks at the people who are showing up or slashing their tires. It's those of us who have been here for a long time. Let's think about what were the lessons that we went through and is there a way to kind of implement those, this rite of passage uh, for these new people who are coming because it served all this purpose. Now, there was also probably tons of peril in the version of rite of passage that she went through and that people in the 50s and 60s went through. Like no version of a spot going through growing pains is perfect. There's been localism and there's been crimes and violence and all that sort of stuff. So I don't like, I don't love the idea of like, it was always better the way we did it back then. And, but I, again, her strategy of let's meet at the wall to discuss might actually be the most level headed and um, productive and effective method for developing through the growth. All of that said, <laughs> I still come back to your original point, which is there's a real reeks of hypocrisy to be like, this is mine. When honestly, no, not even, it's not even close to yours or the previous generation or the one before that. And, um, and that, that goes true for any beach around the world, but especially for Malibu. Malibu is just so, I mean, it's right there. It's the epicenter. It's right in Los Angeles, one of the most populated cities in California. And it's one of the best waves on the coast. Of course, you have to expect that it's for everybody. You know, if you have any expectation for anything else, I think you're going to be um, frustrated every single time that you go out there. Yeah, you know, um, it's interesting because I can imagine some of the ideas that come up at this meeting are like, let's have a set of rules that everybody has to obey that we write out and they're they're you know, put up front and center for people as they walk through. The one cool thing about Malibu is for the most part, you all have to enter and leave at the same spot, right? Through this hole in the wall. And so, um, you know, maybe there's something we read and we all have to read it and we have to check it off. And there's somebody that sits at a table and goes, okay, you've, you've, you've read it. I need you to sign this thing that says you've read it and you'll obey it. And, um, and, you know, so, and maybe another thing at the strategy session was, look, we have to limit the number of people that surf here. And what I'm getting at, David, is that you need to be careful what you wish for, because this could come back to haunt you. For instance, at some point, you might get the state involved because, oh, by the way, it's a state beach. And if you get the state involved and you want to know whose home it is, it's the Chumash Indians. So if you can prove some Chumash blood in your system, you get priority. And I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to yeah. extreme. I'm going no, to extremes here. I'm, yeah. That's the logic that she's following. Yeah, I'm going to extremes. But I mean, at some point, these are, you know, different ideas are coming out at the strategy meeting. And one of them is limit the amount of people in the water. Well, how do you do that? And, 
okay, let's just say there can only be 30 people in the water and you got to take a number and each person gets 20 minutes because, oh, by the way, we have 700 people that want to surf here today, you know, so everyone gets 20 minutes, you know, is that what you want? You just want 20 minutes with 30 people or, you know, or so, so who, nobody really knows how it's going to play out, but a couple of things, I just, I'll restress this, be careful what you wish for. Once you start going down the idea of rules and laws that we have to obey, now you're getting the state involved. You're going to get the lifeguards involved. You're going to get, and some stuff, and the whole thing could just be like, you know what, let's just, how about no surfing? Nobody gets to surf. You exactly. know, or, yeah. you know? And, and oh, by the way, no- one other thing regarding, you know, calling it your home or creating laws that everyone needs to obey, you have to go, who gives you the authority to create exactly. the law? Where does your, where's your authority born from? Where does it, you know, where, how, how did you get it? Like, what, why is it validated? And really the only authority can come from the state. And who you have to be, you have to have a lot of hubris, I guess, to even think that you can organize something like this. Like, unless you're a small cult where there's one leader who sees over everybody and demand mandates rules this thing even the meeting itself was probably disorganized there's no way unless you appoint a leader there's no way to kind of do this effectively when there's going to be when you don't own the land and you're not gating it off and then charging an admission you know it's just you guys can come up with whatever whatever rules you want, which I don't. I think if you have more than two people in the conversation, you're not going to agree on what those rules are, anyways. And everybody's going to have a different way of enforcing the rules. And then, are you going to employ enforcers? How does this all work? And then it's open to the public, so some rando can just show up and be like, "Screw you guys! I'm not. No, I'm not even going to look at your sign. I'm going over here and I'm paddling straight out to the peak. You know, like." And there's nothing you can do about it. So again, it just takes a tremendous amount of hubris to even think that you can unpack this. I also, but I don't even want to, I mean, I'm almost like we shouldn't have even discussed it this far because it all stops with who are you to think that you even own this? That's embarrassing. That's that's a level of hypocrisy that is embarrassing. I see people, um, I mean, this is probably a bit of a stretch and probably, you know, is way like I'm not an expert on land ownership or anything like that, but I see, you know, uh, young Orange County girls going for a hike in the desert. And then they post an Instagram talking about, I'm so grateful to share the Indians land that the white people took from us or whatever, like some woke Instagram post bowing down to the Indians who originally owned the land or whatever and shaming the white man for stealing the land. And it's like, I'm sure the Indians, various Indian tribes fought for it for decades on decades, maybe centuries. And various white people fought for it after that or stole it from one another. I don't think you can just lay blame to one entire group of people. There's a real danger in doing that as well. And so Carla even saying these vowels or these, like, I don't know, who is that group? That group's pretty diverse. There could be people in that group who started, maybe their dad surfed there in the 50s and they surfed there when they were a kid and they got out of it or they moved away and now they're back surfing it. Are they in that group too? Like things are so much more diverse. You can't just vilify an entire group of people 
because they're the most recent inhabitants of the thing, or you think that they're the most recent. It's, it's all rife with a very uh, jaded perspective or a very limited view that is your own perspective, you know? Yeah, it's, um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, you know, but I think it's probably already played out the, pro the you know, it, it may have just self-destructed uh, well, on arrival. And despite all of that and the stance that I just took, I completely understand what she's saying. And I feel I do the too. exact same way, you know? Yeah. And I sort of respect the idea that she's trying to, she's, she's at least trying to do something. Everyone else has got their hands in their pocket and going, oh, this sucks, you know, but, um, but does it that's, really suck? I mean, no. And that's not exactly how I feel. I feel that way momentarily. And then I realize mother nature always levels the playing field in surfing is what I've learned. And so we're going through a cycle right now. I don't think all these people will be here in a year from now or even six months from now. And they certainly won't be here when the swells eight feet, you know, and the current's sweeping down the beach. So whatever, let's ride it out. Yeah. It, it'll be interesting. We'll, we will ride it out. You're, you're right. And I'm just, I was just thinking, what if one of the rules is everyone has to wear a leash <laughs> at, <laughs> at first point Malibu, all those local longboard guys would just be up in arms. That'd be funny. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it, it's, you know, it was, I don't know. It, it was a good thought, but it was, it was, first of all, it was bad to put it on Instagram, <laughs> but I mean, I don't know, you know? Well, the, the only people, who, I mean, the people who um, she's mostly complaining about are never going to see that Instagram post anyways. Yeah. And they're never going to, you know, they're never going to abide by the rule anyways, when they show yeah. up, they're not even going to look at the sign. Um, you were talking though, before we, um, before we played the intro music for the show, you're talking about Byron Bay or we were talking about Byron Bay and it was kind of like, God, it's cringy. The, the surf culture kind of infusing through all the businesses and, and the culture at large is cringy. However, we're grateful to have access <laughs> to the organic food and the acai and the yoga studio and all that stuff. And um, I think what it is, is like once surfing becomes part of the branding of those businesses is where I start to cringe. You know, like I don't mind the gentrification in the way that it makes my life more comfortable, but I don't love the overt acknowledgement of surf for some reason. Even if we're all surfing, I don't need like the bagel shop to be named surfing bagel shop or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I, don't know, you know, I don't know where the distinction is exactly. I Well, for sure, you can start with the Chamber of Commerce. I mean, City of Huntington Beach is a pretty good example of that. Whenever any Chamber of Commerce of a municipality decides to <laughs> promote surfing. But again, I catch myself going, I sound like a salty old dumb shit. You know, like yeah. what's wrong with promoting this thing that you and I and everyone that's listening absolutely loves and is, and has more or less formed our lives around. Um, and I think that's maybe what's wrong. Like if you've formed your life around one specific thing, whatever it is, you're probably pretty limited and you're probably pretty not as open-minded as perhaps we need to be, you know? Yeah. And um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on, on sort of, having a limited view based on this lifestyle that you've chosen. I don't think it's very fulfilling. I think it's dangerous and it's not that fulfilling. And I worry about that with uh, the world tour surfers is that they focused for decades, you know, all of their 
youth and their teenage years to trying to get on tour to do this thing. And it's like the thing itself, it, I mean, I don't want to undermine how great surfing is because it is great, but it's only great in that, or it's great in that it's a relief from all of my actual things in life. And then it act, and then in return, it informs all of my actual things in life. So your family relationships, your work, all of that, I can go out in the water and it's the best way to purge any stress and to process as therapy, anything that I'm going through. And it also teaches you all these lessons about perseverance and discipline and hard work and all that. So then I go back into the real world and I can kind of benefit from the lessons I learned in surfing. But if you don't have all that other stuff, you know, and, and as it relates to what I was saying about world tour surfers, if you're sacrificing romantic relationships and family relationships to go pursue that thing, I'm worried about the, the toll that that takes. And so I think that there has to be a healthy balance. Um, and for yeah. them, I think, and for them, part of it is like, oh, well, they get to travel the world. They get to go to the museums of France and eat the food and whatever. <laughs> like maybe yeah. that. Nobody's whether... going to any museums, dude. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so, so yes, I totally understand and agree with the thing yeah. that you're pointing out is I don't think it's super healthy to have a myop myopic focus on anything. Right. Yeah. This idea that one thing will provide the fulfillment is the, is the problem. And, it, and, and in fact, maybe it's more that um, it's the journey to get the fulfillment where, wherein you receive some sort of fulfillment. There's I no carrot. There's no carrot at the end. Like you'll be surprised that the carrots, totally. carrots been taken. It's the journey, but yeah to kind of validate what we're talking about, Kelly Slater, the greatest surfer of all time has vast interests, you know, and he always has. And John, John Florence, he's into sailing. He's into obviously invested in family relationships. He's into all these uh, photography. And so, and I think all of that makes him a better surfer. And same thing with Kelly, all of those other inputs that he has in his life, make him a better and more interesting surfer. There's personality and there's character through his surfing or that you see through his surfing from all those other influences. Well, let me play devil's advocate also and say that there are guys that you and I know, there's guys that um, that po have posted up at say like G-Land. You know, there's a couple of guys that come to mind that you wouldn't even know who they were. You know, if it weren't for maybe the, a surfer's journal article or some, you know, but there's guys that have literally, like, I know there was guys in the eighties that posted up at Pasquale's down in Colima and they didn't want you to know about it. They didn't want you to be there. They didn't need you to take pictures. It's the last thing they wanted. They were just posted up living at Pasquale's and getting shacked out of their brains. And they don't want, they didn't want any of this sort of, look at me, I'm the, I'm the guy at this spot or whatever, you know, there was no. And so in some ways that was extremely myopic, extremely sort of singularly focused, but I sort of respect that, you know, like, and there's guys that are like that still that and we don't know who they are. Thank God. But you do, if you're, you know, if you're, if you've been around a little bit, you, you know who they are or you've seen them or you've whatever, you know what I'm saying? So there's that myopic sort of singularly focused thing that I kind of respect. 
and but on the other side it's like at some point that must run out and it's like what next you know do i take up pickleball <laughs> well everybody is different that's obvious yeah. that's an obvious statement and yeah. some and there's that's a very unique person basically there's not a lot of the population yeah. who can live with that level of isolation and focus but some people need it and some people have antisocial tendencies and some people have it diagnosed, you know, like Clay Marzo's is diagnosed. And so he's only able to focus on these very specific things. And one of the deficits of that is kind of an antisocial affect. And so everybody's different, but what you're describing is not the masses of the population. That's a more kind of unusual scenario. Yeah. Um, By the uh, way. Yeah, go ahead. I need to apologize to the listening public and to you and to Rob Machado and to Rabbit Bartholomew because apparently I got that Rob Machado story last week completely wrong. Like Who somebody corrected you? A bunch of people. A bunch of people sent me like mainstream articles about what actually went down. Like all, all I had to do was a simple Google search to get the story correct. I thought it was this great you know, undiscovered surf story <laughs> that needed to be excavated and told to the masses. And it turns out, you know, Chris Cote wrote a story about it in Transworld 15 years ago or something. You know what I mean? Like it's well, been out what, there. What's worse and is- And I was... kind of knew that it had. Go ahead. What's worse is he was just on, I guess, um, the Firewire podcast and they did a full discussion on that exact thing. And I, last year he was on Aki's podcast and they did a full discussion on the exact thing. So it had been covered ad nauseum oh recently yeah. and, and when it happened and you and I were just right on the periphery of catching him. <laughs> we're, we're like, we're like, yeah, I think it went down like this anyway. At least we did put the caveat out there that we're not really sure about the story, but it kind of our recollection of it from 15 years ago is this. But anyway, we butchered it pretty hard. It ends up that Rob was voted out by the surfing peers. They had a meeting. It was in Hawaii, not Australia. Rabbit wasn't there. The way the thing was set up was the surfers themselves decide who gets the injury wild card. And there was um, a lot of drama about it, but... Um, Anyway, we Shane got it Dorian wrong. Got it. Shane Dorian got it. We apologize for. I don't butchering. think it's that they voted him out. It's that they voted Shane to get it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, and even that's a little, as I read the story, is a little bit interesting. But at the end of the day, Rob should have been more prolific and more um, his own advocate in person yeah. than yeah. he was. And, and that was probably a problem. But, you know, he had some issues with, uh, you know, the a birthing of a child and all sorts of stuff was going down with him. So it was, it was a weird situation, but Dorian got and, the wild. And incidentally, Kelly Slater came out of retirement that year and then won again. Yeah. Right. And I had also said, and Rob had won the pipe masters before this happened. This happened in 2001, the, the nine 11 year, which was already screwed up. You know? Yeah. It was just a weird time. Everyone was off their kilter. Yep. Was that, was Unfortunate. Yes. Unfortunate to lose Rob though. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. It was a disservice to professional surfing, I think, and, you know. Well, I think that's a good segue into professional surfing. We had a major event just end since our last yeah. recording. Yeah, we did. Um, um, I would like to start off yes. this conversation about the rottenness 
search event. Yes. Um, by congratulating the WSL for pulling off a series of events that I was very pessimistic about them being yeah. able to pull off. Yeah. And obviously the events didn't run flawlessly and the waves weren't stellar throughout, but they pulled it off, you know, and that's no small feat. So congrats to the crew that pulled it off. Wow. Okay. That's a little bit, not what I expected from you, but you're right. Um, they did pull off a series of four events and they do deserve um, some kudos and very challenging times and very challenging political situations and, and health situation. And, um, so yeah, they did do that. And we were unsure what we would see with the waves at Rotnest. And I'll be honest, at watching finals day, I was thrilled with it. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily advocate that they go back there for a CT event. You know, um, there's certainly better waves, but it did deliver uh, high enough quality surf for, I think, the cream to rise to the top and for the correct results to, to take place, which I don't feel was the case necessarily at um, the previous two events. Huh, that's interesting because in my notes here, I, I, and as I look back on my experience with the WSL event at Rottenness, I lost interest. I lost interest after yeah. a few days. I just wasn't, you know, when it popped up that it was on, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna watch the condensed version you know, and, that, and I don't need to spend time in front of the computer watching it live. In my opinion, the waves were just sort of, you know, they were, I mean, everyone saw it. it to me, it was just kind of sort of blah, blah, blah. It wasn't, if, if you and I are seeking and, and sort of, um, you know, pronouncing that the waves must be the stars, um, that that's the very lowest benchmark that we need super high quality waves to then put the best surfers in. Um, I don't think they reached that goal, but of course it, this is a, a strange COVID year and we've, we've given them that, but I, because of that, I wasn't engaged in this rottenness event and I watched well, the finals and I just, you know, it, you know, so I agree with you. Um, and I think my malaise is bigger than just rottenness, to be honest, with the WSL events. Um, I really, I've, I'm losing interest entirely. Like through this leg, and maybe you're entirely right, and it is because it's not Cloudbreak and it's not Chopu, but I, I really struggle to care. And I did watch it live for the most part, but I had the volume down almost through the entirety of it. It's like we're having dinner and I'll put the computer off to the side with the volume down and just glance over every once in a while. And, um, and that was enough for me, you know? And then I see the results and it's like, yeah, Gabriel won, Italo made, like that's exactly yeah. what I expected to happen. And yeah. there's no, I guess the, if you really wanted to get worked up and excited, you can certainly get excited about Liam O'Brien, a wild card coming through and uh, Morgan Siblick in his rookie year, making a final, you know, there are a couple of things, but the surfing just isn't that dramatic, you know, and the rivalries don't exist. And so you don't need the volume on period. And yeah. You don't need to watch it live. Yeah. My, I mean, my takeaways are the same as yours and and look, Gabe seems unstoppable, frankly. Like it feels like it feels like we almost don't even need to play out the rest of the season, but we do and we should and we have to. But right now, Gabe seems like he's going to be the world champion. Um, and of course, anything can happen. It we've got a lot of the tour <clears throat> left to go. And I'm but 
I, first of all, I feel like pro surfing needs consequences. I don't feel like of the course. waves are consequential. Yeah. And I think that's the big problem. And I think now more than ever, having the final at trestles is a, is stupid. It's like well, having the formula one championship at, at like the local dog track or something, you know, like, track. yeah, it's like, Oh, by the way, you know, we've had a series of South swells from South America up to Mexico that have been all time. Yeah. They, they could have had a small event at Puerto Escondido that would have been of waves of consequence. Are guys going to be doing airs? Hell no. They're going to be on nine sixes paddling into the waves of their lives. So um, let's touch on the finals day concept real quick. Gabe is clearly the best surfer this season and came up or came into the season just ready to take over, right? It doesn't matter where the events even are going to be. He's going to, he's going to be the, the guy to beat in each of them. And what if at lowers he loses? Cause it's a finals day scenario where the winner of that event and that day becomes the world champ. So and this is a very practical um, reality that could take place. The number five surfer has, so the top five surfers make it into the day. The number five surfer has to beat the number four surfer or, or, you know, th those guys surf against one another. So the lowest ranked surfers are going to surf more frequently than the number one ranked surfer. The way I understand it, the number one ranked surfer will only surf the final heat. Yeah. I so think that's a problem. So it could be that they have a shocker. Anybody yeah. can have a shocker and, or the waves cannot show up for that heat or whatever it is. And it could be that that number fifth ranked surfer, or maybe number two, it doesn't matter, but let's say it's number five and it's Felipe Toledo because he's a legit contender at lowers. Um, Felipe Toledo could just get a bunch of warm up surfs in, focus all his ire on Gabriel and Gabriel paddles out for his first heat of the day and has a shocker. And Idolo yeah. is hitting his zenith, and now Idolo's our world champ. Despite this entire season, Gabriel running the court. Yeah, um, I mean, this is sort of the scenario that people have painted. I saw Long uh, Long Tom. Uh, yeah, how, how do you say Long Tom? I so say he painted that picture. A lot of people have been painting this picture, and that could very well happen. So, a couple of things: should there be best two out of three once we get to the final top two guys? best two out of three or let's just have an hour and a half long heat yeah are you going to have a shocker in an hour and a half long heat if you have a shocker yeah. in an hour and a half long heat you deserve to have a shocker i could yeah. see having a shocker in a 35 minute heat let's have an hour and a half long final uh unlimited waves you know yep. and and let's just let's just put it out there you know because gabe will find his form after 30 minutes believe yeah. me yeah and so you know but I just think trestles, I, I just think. And I just it shouldn't think be a trestles. There's that. It shouldn't be a trestles. It just right. needs to be a, a wave where, where ESPN's like, oh my God, they had the, they had these waves in insane pipeline. Or like my thing is, is, you know, I've, I've got can do laughs on the brain. I, that's hard to pull off in September. It's not, it's basically kind of the end of the season. You need to kind of have can do in May or June. But anyway, it needs to be in waves of consequence. I don't know where that is, but, um, you know. It's, it's an amalgam. We're at this destination because there's been this amalgam of small 
bad decisions over and over and over. And you and I complain about it on the podcast over the years. And people are like, oh, but it's a COVID year, but it's, and they kind of justify and can make accommodation for each individual decision. But look at where we're at now, where none of it makes sense at all. We're surfing in far from the best waves in the world. We're surfing in marginal beach breaks, running events that take a week to run because the tour is bloated with surfers. We're running in wave pools and we're have this insane finals day scenario that runs at lowers of all places. Like none of it makes sense anymore. All of it can be solved by putting the best surfers in the best waves for one, a one swell window, you know, like that would, we would get the best surfer in the world as the world champ. And oh, by the way, how, how great is it? If, if no one knows where it's at, if we're all just waiting for a purple blob, like just the entire surf world's like kind of on pins and needles. Anyone that cares about the WSL is like, where's it going to be? Everyone will be scouring Surfline and magic seaweed and all the different surf, you know, websites to determine, Oh, look at this low pressure over here. Holy shit. You know what? They're going to be having it at, um, you know, this crazy beach break in South Africa or something. You know what I mean? Like, well, the drama and the consequence that is involved inherent and embedded in that exact scenario that you just said, you cannot replicate through any other method. And the uh, attempt at creating the drama and the consequence through this super complicated equation that they've designed that is the world tour is almost impossible. Like it will never happen. You cannot generate the level of drama and consequence that pipeline has inherently through this version of what you've created over here with 32 surfers. Like it doesn't, it just never will be. And, and their goal is of course, in doing it, sell more advertising, get more eyeballs and all of it, but they've lost the plot through step one. When step one wasn't putting the best surfers in the best waves, you then undermine the entire project. Speaking of advertising, this is going to be a good time to take a advertising break. Coffee break? Yeah, you got to refill the coffee. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. 
Yeah. I feel like that is the world's tallest coffee cup. What's what's is that 10 inches tall? This is How many a, ounces does it fill? 24 ounces. No way. Oh yeah. Dude, I have a thing. Be, you're going to be jittery. I have a thing that um, it should be a some sort of law that you can't have a coffee mug that's not at least 20 ounces. Really? Yeah. I disagree with that entirely. Have you ever been to Italy? Sure you do. I've never been to Italy. <laughs> but when I do, I'm packing this bad boy. Yeah. <laughs> just exactly. show, just show up, put this right on the bar at the barista <laughs> counter or whatever and go, yeah, fill this thing up with your strongest coffee. That'll no, be a, a long hard. pull of espresso. Holy shit. I will. Have you ever had, I think we talked about this. So the Panikin or one of these coffee places here in San Diego used to have a drink. They might still have it called the Keith Richards. And the Keith Richards was five shots of espresso. And I had it one time. And if you've ever had too much coffee and you're just like, it's the worst, right? It's like it is, the worst. Yeah. Just imagine that, you know, multiplied. Yeah. And it, it was just like, oh my God, please. Like it was just coursing through my veins. It was horrible. That's hilarious. No. And to be honest, 20 ounces is too much, even for me. Like I love coffee. It's part of my daily ritual. I look forward to it every morning, yeah. but I, 12 ounces was my quota for a decade. And yeah. I've only recently upgraded to 16, but I usually don't finish the 16. Um, and that's See, plenty. You're going to be right here in just a few years, bro. I'm getting you one of these for Christmas. You're going to get a 20 ounce. Do you drink it throughout the day? No. Okay. No. I only drink it in the morning and they, they don't call me flow max because of my surfing style. Let's just put it out. <laughs> We're well aware by the interruptions. Um, well, so our, one final thought on my general malaise for the CT or the malaise that's developed through the Australian leg. Yeah. We're looking at surf ranch next. God, you couldn't pay me to care. I know if the WSL was like, Hey, we're going to pay you to like, you know, cover this event or whatever. I'd be like, ah, what's the number? Like, I, I really don't care. I'd rather stay home. You know, here's a little interesting quote, I think, from Edlo. I don't know if you caught this, but Edlo, speaking to somebody, told this reporter, or however this came out, that he thinks the wave pool is a pretty hard thing to surf and that he hoped to speak to Kelly Slater to cajole him into letting him surf a little bit more. That says a lot, right? That you have to like, ask Kelly if you can get more time in the pool to get it figured out. Like that's, isn't that wrong on a bunch of different levels? A thousand different levels. And this is exactly what I said years ago when they came on tour is that it's a conflict of interest for yeah. Kelly. Firstly. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. This world that we're living in, it's bizarro to me. I don't understand any of it. I don't understand how <laughs> there's Dogecoin millionaires, how the Kardashians are the most famous celebrities. I don't understand what's happening anymore. I know. I know. And this is why we romanticize the 70s and the whole, the whole anti, you know, anti the whole scene. Did I just become an old man? You just did. I will get off of your lawn. On air right now. Just no, make note of it. It was May 26th, 2021. David <sighs> became an old man. Welcome. I'm going to be you, the you one. Know, 
interrupting the show with bathroom breaks. You got a 20 ounce coming your way, a bottle of Flomax. Just as I start interrupting the show with bathroom breaks, you will not be interrupting the show because you'll be strapping on the Depends. <laughs> you won't even oh, have to God. leave the room. I'll just be like, ah. Better now. More coffee, feels, please. Feels good. Well, okay. I want to share one final thought on the, one of the concerns that we had with this Australian leg of the tour and uh, these lesser venues, these kind of QS quality venues making their way onto the CT. One of the things that I said on air here was uh, it could, it could upend the rankings and allow the QS um, surfers, the QS quality surfers to thrive in QS quality waves. And it could nullify the greatest assets of the greatest surfers in the world. So you have John, John Florence, who's a finely tuned machine for big waves going fast, doing big turns, Jordy Smith. Um, and I use Jack Robinson as that example at the time too. And sure enough, we have a scenario where Liam O'Brien is making the finals day and Jack Robinson, we forgot about a long time ago and John, John Florence got injured, but Gabriel Medina and Idolo are the two guys who have kind of been able to thrive no matter what. And I guess that would be expected. But the, the concern with the scenario that I'm talking about is that a Jack Robinson gets bumped off tour, a Julian Wilson gets bumped off tour. And then you have a 2020 season where maybe things go back to normal and we are running at G land and we are running at cloud break. And those guys aren't on tour. The people who have been groomed for 20 years for those, for the best waves in the world. And they're the best surfers in the world. You know, we're, we're undercutting the entire process. And again, everybody said, well, it's a COVID year and we should just do it. And it's like, well, if it comes with a consequence that undermines what we've built for 20 years, then there's a real risk. And I think that we're kind of seeing that. Yeah, this is a great point. I mean, that that's definitely come to fruition. Um, of course, John John was hurt, but um, Jack Robbo's disappointment. And he, I don't know where he is on the rankings, but it's probably not too high up. Well, Kelly Slater couldn't even be bothered to show up. And I know that he's claiming injury, but there's argument or there's a rumor that he wasn't so injured that he couldn't compete if the waves were at stand-up, you know, barrels, essentially. Uh, we saw him win Chopu one year with a broken foot. So, but he's not going to go grovel it out with kids for three months and it's not fit for a king. And so I think that um, there's a real risk here that we're kind of seeing yeah, happen. The, the upending of the rankings. There's a story in there that could be, you could spin it. Their PR department could spin. Oh, Liam O'Brien making the finals. Cause by the way, he surfs great making yeah. the finals day. Um, they could spin that, but they're not acknowledging any of the things that I'm saying, you know, which I think are actually really scary. And well, I, th I think, look, when we look at the final at Rottnest, did, did, it was just very clear to me that Morgan wasn't in the same league as Gabe Medina at all. Gabe Medina, by the way, was just surfing. Like that's just how he surfs. Where yeah. Morgan was like trying really hard to surf as critically as he could, you know, like yeah. Gabe was just like, <laughs> just, I mean, it's, Gabe's on a different level than everybody. Gabe yeah, is an absolute is. weapon this year. And I love to see it. And Gabe for years caught our ire. Yeah. Uh, and this no, year, 
Yeah, he's won me right. over instantly. Like, he's like RoboCop. He really you is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. He, it's, he and truly, he's he seems happy. Like, uh, if you can glean any of, I don't know, whatever from his Instagram and kind of his post-heat interviews, he just seems like a different Gabriel. And we, I mean, we can read into it and blame, well, Charlie's not there anymore. And so Charlie was kind of creating this competitive monster. But now that he has all of that in his back pocket, he is a competitive monster. It seems like he's able to relax. Obviously he's got his girlfriend or his wife traveling with him on tour and he seems to be enjoying that lifestyle. And he's developed all of the talent and all of the competitive prowess. And that is just kind of um, muscle memory at this point. And he's able to just enjoy, enjoy being better than every other person at this thing. Let me ask you this. The way Gabe Medina is surfing right now, 11 world titles? No. No? No. How many does he have? Two? He should have four. I think he could see four or five. That's all. The way he's surfing right now. How old is he? What is he, 26? 28? That sounds about right. I'm not sure. He's got 10 more years. Yeah, but I I think the the marketplace is just so much more dynamic now. Like the talents that are popping up, it's just a way more, there's way more. I'm not saying, it's not about the talent. It's about the mental space. To him, this is his, this is truly his profession now. Like he looks professional. He looks like friggin' Nadal. You know, he looks like one of these professional tennis players or a professional soccer football player that he just, like everyone else is like, holy shit, I'm, I'm, I can't believe I made the final at Rottnest. And he's like, I'm going to win this thing and next week and next week and next week. And if I'm not in the final, something's wrong and I'm going to fix it. I think it almost takes a, a mental deficiency to even want to do it for 20 years to get the 11. You know what I mean? Like it's not normal. And I don't know that Gabe has that longevity or the willing to sacrifice all the other things in life to get the 11. Like that's a, not a normal thing to do. Well, I I, I think you could dominate for five years and check out. Well, I agree with that. Here's what I see happening. He dominates. Let's say he gets to six. He checks out, comes back in three years. Like they all have Michael Jordan, Kelly Slater. Aki did it. I don't know if Sonny dropped off to her, but you know, they, they, they check out, they realize three years later, Oh, I've done everything I wanted to do. I've traveled all over. I had kids. I did blah, 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 blah. And I'm still seeking it. Now I've regained, I've reignited the fires within me. And he comes back and he bangs off a few more. 11 might seem a lot, but I mean, you get to eight and all of a sudden, okay, I can do this. That's when you find yourself where Kelly Slater finds himself now trying to get 12, where you're just kind of, you know, floundering and treading water. And it's not, I think Gabe, I could see Gabe six dominating for six. Yes. I can go with that dominating for six. Uh, And then just, that's only four more. Yeah, exactly. And then just retiring on top. Yeah. And so it would be Kelly with the most, Gabe with the next most. And then I think, is it four? How many does, did Andy get? Three. Three. Mark Richards has four. I think, what does Mick have? Did Mick get four or three? I'm not sure. 
right around Steph, there. Steph Gilmore. I think she has, what does she have? Seven? She has a lot. Yeah. Yeah. She has seven. So Gabe would be under Steph still. Anyway, be interesting. See well, how that all plays out. Look, I, I'm loving the, I'm loving that Gabe's loving what he's doing. I think he's elevating everybody else's performance on tour. Um, so I'm a fan of that. I don't give a crap about surf ranch coming up. I'm excited that Tahiti's still on, on the venue. So that's one thing to look forward to. Maybe Mexico will happen. Maybe Brazil will happen. I don't think so, but. Um, well, look, I've got a musty moment. Okay. Behind the peak. Have you seen this? Nope. So it's a mini documentary that studies the mechanics of South Africa's Sunset Reef, which is this one of the many waves in the South African <clears throat> township of, I'm going to mispronounce this, but I think it's um, Komochi. Uh, yeah, it's it's written weird, but I think it's c- pronounced Komenji. Uh, Komenji, okay, yeah. So I forget, the- actually, that sounds wrong too. I've heard it said, but it's been a while. So Cormacy, I don't know. <laughs> Behind the Peak was directed by Will Bindix and Alan Van Geisen. Yeah, and this it's a mini documentary that adds context to a textual piece that's been done in the latest Surfers Journal. Oh, okay, nice. And the Surfers Journal piece is called "In the Hall of the Mountain King," and it's it's a close up of this region and this wave sunset reef and its position in. South Africa's heavy water proving grounds. And frankly, in context of all the heavy water, including Mavericks and Jaws. And um, it's a really great piece. It's very professionally done. And, and I guess in context to other surf edits that are out there now, this seems adult-like, you know? Yeah. It's got a very surfer's journal sort of um, professionalism to it. And it's, it's a really neat piece. And they do some uh, talking heads with Matt Bromley and, of course, um, uh, Twiggy Baker. And it's a cool little thing. And and the Surfer's Journal, of course, I'm a big fan. So um, Behind the check peak. it out. Behind the Peak, a mini documentary. I want to say it's pronounced Cormacy. You no. know, it doesn't look anything like that at all. Kamoji. Just got to say it yeah. fast. Just say it fast Something and I'll like get it. I want to acknowledge a quick follow-up from last week. We talked about Cruz of uh, the mussy moment was Cruz Denofa doing that backside yes. front front flip. He's my Duke. 11 year old. Yes. He, he's your Duke this week. He's my Duke. Oh, call it out. Why is he your Duke? For having the wherewithal to write us a thoughtful and sincere thank you email that regarding the fact that we spoke about his incredible surfing at Waco last week. That's takes, why I, I will why never I forget. I will never forget Cruz now. And I know you won't either. And the fact that it's quite a mature thing to do for an 11 year old, I'm sure he got some cajoling from his parents, but regardless, it was, uh, it's the kind of thing, a, a sincere, thoughtful note personalized the way he personalized it means so much. It's such a strong move to make as a human being to create a personal relationship. And I applaud Cruz and his parents for, for doing that. Cruz wrote us an email and said, Hey guys, I was, we were driving in the car, listening to spit and we heard you talking about my air and man, that was the coolest thing ever. Thank you so much for highlighting it. We really appreciate it. We're big fans of the show, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, 
so I actually interviewed his dad this oh, week. Oh, cool. Oh, great. And I'm going to be publishing a podcast with him. His name's Tim Denofa and um, stand up, stand up guy. And I think that, you know, you can probably glean that just from receiving an email from his a courteous email from an 11 year old. Exactly. You would presume, <laughs> you'd presume that his parents were doing okay. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, even my thought is, you said his parents might've cajoled, cajoled him. Good. Like, yeah, I don't expect any 11 year old to have that level of courtesy, but what I do expect is for parents to teach kids, whether it's writing a thank you note or it's saving money, you know, or it is whatever it is, you have to teach them. They don't just know how to do it instinctively. So even if he's over his shoulder, that's a, that's an awesome move from dad because a lot of dads wouldn't do that. I agree. Maybe my Duke, and it's funny because when I was writing it, I'm like, um, so Tim Denofa might be my co-Duke Yeah, because great job. Um, like I said, it, I will never, because I got a personal, you and I received a personal email from Cruz. I'll never forget that kid. And we see a lot of kids going through this show. We talk about a lot of kids and um, my hat's off to the Denofa family. That is an 11 year old child who did a gnarlier air than we've seen professional surfers who have been surfing for 20 years do. I mean, it's, it's crazy. By the way, in regards to this, uh, there's a piece on stab by, uh, I don't know, it might be Sam McIntosh. I think it is. He, he interviewed Bob McKnight. The guy, one of the founders of Quicksilver. I don't know if you saw this or not. I read it. Okay, so I would urge the Denofa family to read it and get some insight from Bob McKnight on the concept of making a living out of surfing. And, and by all means, go do it. Chase your passion, but have a backup plan. <laughs> you know what I mean? I really, I really liked the piece as well. And a lot of those stories I had heard before, but I still like rereading them because when somebody retells them, there's a slightly different angle or context that they provide. And so I found myself rereading, you know, reading um, every single line of it and really, really enjoying it. Yeah. That, the Quicksilver story is fascinating, right? I mean, that's a brand that you and I, I just grew up absolutely idolizing the Quicksilver brand and all the team riders ever since you know, way back in the day, you know, um, what I find fascinating is how Quicksilver lost the, lost the, the goat That's the story. You know? Yeah. Like the, the they story went of, public. Yeah. Go ahead. The story of the last since 2008, the last would, few years would be the next. Really and it's really, and it's really, a, it's tell. a business story. It, it yeah. really is a business story. It's not a story about surfing. It's a story about, a publicly traded company trying to appease their shareholders and, and going out and acquiring a bunch of really making us some bad decisions in hopes of getting a short-term boost to their stock price. And, and they got the opposite and I'm probably butchering it. You know, there's probably, I know there's a lot more to it and I'd like to hear that side of the story, you know, like the acquisition of Rosignol, the acquisition of, I think they bought a golf company like Cleveland golf. Like they bought some stuff that you're just like, there's, you know, there's no more salt in the building. You know, when they're trying, when the, the people in New York on Wall Street are trying to appease this, the, the shareholders, you know, Bob's whole thing is, you know, got to have surfers in the building. If you don't have surfers in the building, you're screwed. And at that point, there couldn't, didn't matter how many surfers were in the building, you know, yeah. the board of directors is going to make their move. And and that's what spelled the, the, the downward spiral. 
Yeah, it's a sad story too. I mean, because so many of those surfers in the building are friends of ours, of yours and mine, you know, and they worked there for 20 and 30 years from the ground up. And so all of that family DNA was shared and to have it all kind of eroded in a very short period of time is a sad turn of events. I think, and I think it's probably, I don't know if sad is the right term, but maybe it is, but for Bob McKnight, you know, like to see his baby sort of circle the drain of bankruptcy, it's got to be a, a hard thing to take. Of course. Know? Yeah. And he's still all in. I mean, they asked at the, the final <laughs> yeah. line, the final line was like, which of these kind of startups would you invest in, you know? And he's like, none of them. I'd invest more in Quicksilver. <laughs> and Quicksilver might bu- be doing buy- great. He's buying the, the dip. He's buying the dip. I'm buying the dip, by the way. I'm buying the crypto dip. Yeah, I know. You I'm, are. I'm big on the crypto dip. Um, by the way, real quick. I got to tell you about Headstock, the Guitar Lovers Festival, November 6th and 7th. If you love guitars, if you love craftsmanship, if you love luthiers, the guys that build these beautiful instruments, um, and you love live music, you're going to want to check out Headstock, November 6th and 7th in San Diego. It's going to be a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward. I'm in the middle of producing this show, and it's going to be fun. Luthiers galore. Yes. Um, my must-see moment is actually Stab's series called Joyride, where they do surfboard reviews. Have you yeah. watched any of this? I saw that Michael C. Morell is doing it, and I haven't looked into it. He just did the Hypto Crypto. Or no, he did one of Hayden Shapes, right? Or- it's a new Hayden Shapes line yeah. that they're making um, called The Cohort. And Mike, so they've been doing this series for a while, but they go like they haven't made one in months. They were doing it yeah. pretty consistently, and then they took a break, it seems. Yeah. But I think Mikey does a great job and he yeah. surfs so great. Yeah. And um, the kind of shortcoming of the series is they're mainly riding pointy thrusters, which Mikey surfs really well, but I don't know how applicable that is for everybody else. And then also how much differentiation there is between one board and another. But I still find myself enjoying the series. They're well done. They're nine minutes long. And so uh, the latest Stabs Joyride on stab.com and or stabmag.com, I think. Um, my Duke is actually Sally Fitzgibbons. Sally had a win at Rottnest Island. And not only did she win the event, she surfed better than anybody by a fair margin. And there's, if you take her wave of the day from finals day, it was a nine point something. She did a backside snap and then a floater. You could put that up against Morgan Siblick's eight-point ride that I posted on Instagram, Julian Wilson's high seven that I posted on Instagram, and Sally would still beat both of those waves and still get scored a nine. Like that wave was sick. And she got the sickest barrel of the event as well. I mean, Sally just hit, she's having, she had a banner event and my, um, she's always been a bridesmaid. I think she's got second place finishes more than anybody else. Uh, at the end of the year rankings, but she's never won a world title. And I don't know if this is her year to win a world title. Obviously it takes consistency and that's what she's lacked in previous seasons, but the way that she served this event, she could win a world title. And so she is my Duke of the week. Oh, that's a good call. And speaking of the, the Julian uh, Morgan Siblick question, I guess it is, or um, I thought it was a non-story. I thought, well, the only I thought story it, is Julian complaining. Right, exactly. 
But yeah. the waves, the two waves themselves are pretty close, whatever, you know, it's flip a coin. The story is we've talked about, we've congratulated or commended Stace Galbraith on getting those post-heat interviews with the losers. Yeah. And this is what you get from those. Yeah. Um, uh, Julian Wilson complaining about something that's not even worth complaining about. And there's been lots of bad calls and we always reference them here. That wasn't a bad call. That was a negligible difference. And you could argue it either way. That's not Mm -hmm. the point. The point is it was negligible. And for Julian Wilson to be talking crap essentially on Morgan is what it felt like. It's like, dude, that's not a good look. Those aren't good (laughs) optics. You're the old man who's getting beat by the young buck and then complaining, oh, the judges got it wrong. No, we're all looking at it. And you're just the old man complaining right now with no stickers on your board. You know what? Rumor is that he was at the wall of Malibu yesterday as part of the strategy (laughs) session. (laughs) He had to get off of my lawn sticker going. (laughs) Exactly. And by the way, one other thing that we have to discuss is Tyler Wright having an utter shocker to a degree that I haven't seen anybody have a shocker in a long time. Did you watch her heat? I can barely, no. Dude, you can barely what? I can barely watch any of the WSL. Once they get us in good waves, I'll watch the women. Tyler Wright against Sally Fitzgibbon, I feel it was the semifinal number one, fell repeatedly. She'd get the best wave of the morning. Like the thing came right to her and she'd be bottom turning and bog and fall. She'd go up and do a snap and tip over and fall. It was crazy. Like a mental, uh, you know, whatever fart that like I've never seen before. And it was bizarre. And then she ran off the the contest site without sticking around for an interview or anything. Oh, she had a shocker. She just ran, literally, like grabbed her stuff and ran. Did they say uh, so anything? I had the volume down, so I don't know. <laughs> I gotta um, run. <laughs> so it was pretty, pretty embarrassing. And I'm watching throughout the heat, going, "Oh well, she fell on the first six waves, but what do you know? There's 15 minutes left, and she's getting another chance. Here comes another set, and then she'd bog again. So Sally took full advantage. Um, but that isn't even my kook. Do you want to hear the kook of the week? Yes, please. Huntington Beach. Oh my Hunt- God. Huntington Beach for living up to its Huntington Beachiness. I mean, your hometown. We feel it's like not we my hometown. That, no, no, we need that hometown song. My hometown. Who sings that song? I don't know. Why don't my you sing it? hometown. I want to say it's like John Cougar Mellencamp or somebody like that. Have you been watching The Voice because I told you to? No. Why? I'm just kidding. Because now you're singing. You're doing karaoke on the show. Um, so Huntington Beach. It's not Begin. my hometown. I don't live in Huntington Beach. I wasn't born in Huntington Beach. I wasn't even raised in Huntington Beach. I spent a decade there in my, <laughs> in my early 30s. And I never called it home. I lived by the harbor. I did not live near Main Street. I never went to Main Street. I never drank a beer in a bar on Main Street. I did you wear knee-high socks with... You have knee-high socks? Yes. The answer is yes. I never went to a riot. <laughs> I, never, I never incited you have, a riot. Do you have a, I never, you have a pit bull? I never had a pit bull. I never lit a firework nor a cigarette in Huntington Beach. So yeah. thankfully, I've been able to distance myself since then. And I reflect back on those times and I question a lot of my decisions. But this story comes because a week ago, 
Adrian Lopez, 17, was an average high school student in Eastvale, California. But after a digital flyer he made inviting friends to Huntington Beach for his 17th birthday went viral to the point of attracting thousands of strangers to the beach, uh, he became a household name on social media. Adrian's kickback was the hashtag. So he made this invitation on Monday, specifying a time, and uh, he, it was just meant to be for his school, but they posted it on TikTok, and overnight it became a meme. Internet celebrities and creators, including music artists <laughs> whose names I've never heard before, and they're <laughs> kind of funny to even look at and read, 24K Golden is, I guess, the musical artist, and members of the FaZe Clan and Noah Beck posted about it, and by the weekend, the event had 280 million views on TikTok. <laughs> and now from the police report, uh, the initial crowds that gathered at the beach that evening exploded to more than 2,500 people who descended on the downtown area and threw bottles, rocks, fireworks, and other items at officers. Multiple businesses, numeral poli numerous police vehicles, and a lifeguard tower were also damaged from the vandalism. No significant injuries were reported. The police declared an unlawful assembly in the downtown area at 7.30 at night and called in assistance from outside agencies. Throughout the night, more than 150 officers from virtually all law enforcement agencies in Orange County were deployed to Huntington Beach. An emergency curfew was put into effect to help local authorities clad in riot gear and armed with less lethal weapons disperse the crowds. Police arrested and booked 121 adults and 28 juveniles for various charges, including vandalism, firing with dangerous and illegal fireworks and failure to disperse and violating curfew. Boom. Wow. Adrian's kickback. That's the hashtag. <laughs> yeah. How many times have the riot, how many riots has Huntington Beach had? This year? Just, yeah, over, yeah, just, I don't know. It's kind of amazing, but those are your neighbors. I mean, congratulations. It's it's a bizarre, it's a bizarre little town. It is crazy. I, I surf it all the time. Like, I mean, here's again, this paradox. We were talking about Byron Bay earlier, Malibu. Um, I don't experience any of the things that are in the news. Like I show up at 7 a.m., I park in the neighborhood. I don't pay for parking. I walk across the street. I surf empty waves, believe it or not. Like despite it being surf city. And if you go try to battle at the pier, it's not empty, but I surf empty waves all the time and it's head high and peaky and it's fun and there's nobody around. And then I get back in my car and I bail and I don't experience any of that. That whole paragraph you just said was full old man. I park totally. across, I don't pay for parking. I park across the street. <laughs> well, because I everybody bring my own coffee. <laughs> Everybody complains about paying for parking and it's like, hey, idiot, there's free parking 10 feet that way. You know? <laughs> and, and, and I'll go on the 4th of July and I'll still find parking. Like people can't find parking for some reason. All right. Anyway, Scott, I'm disgruntled enough. You know what? You're going to get a pickleball paddle and one of these. <laughs> You're officially old. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, I accept uh, it. I accept it because I identify with you talking about Neil Young ad nauseum or the Allman Brothers, and yeah. I have no idea who 24 Golden is or FaZe Clan. I, I don't either. Oh, well. Well, look, it's been a great show. I'm going to leave you with this. The top five, Gabriel, Idolo, Jordi, Felipe, and Morgan Sibilic. 
And oh, by the way, I forgot to mention this. We jinxed the living shit out of Griffin Cola Pinto. Oh my gosh. I blame you for this. I think I am to blame for this. And I apologize to Griffin. I mean, he couldn't have. I mean, we talked him up so hard. You know, we had him like going to the Olympics, winning the world title. Like he's our world champ. Being on the cover of Men's Journal. And he failed us. And um, it was the ultimate jinx. Lost in the round of 32. Good Lord, Griffin. It was his worst. Well, he had a bad event at Narabeen, too. Oh, oh pipe. Yeah. yeah. No, pipe. 1300. Yeah, pipe. Um, <clears throat> I still have I still have faith. I blame I you for Jinx. I still okay. have faith. Bring it back together. Because he could do well at Sir French. I do, too. I So will Griffin be in the top five? Because yes. here's, here's who's ahead of him. Morgan, John, and Connor Coffin. That's a shocker to me. But, yes, he will be in the top I mean, geez, Connor, I hate to say it, but congratulations, Connor. I mean, he's killing it. I know. He, he's like way above his, his, he's punching way above his weight class, I think. Or you and I are such old men that we can't identify what's actually happening in the real world anymore. Well, he's surfing as great as I've ever seen him surf in competition. Yeah. I mean, I Connor's do. surfing really good. And we credit that to his coach, right? I mean, partly, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he anything, rips. anything to not give Connor the credit. No, I don't mean like that. But didn't he? Didn't he bring on like? Um, yeah, micro. Yeah, micro hall. And he so. switched boards and everything, so it's working for him. Um, I'm but, stoked and, for Connor. And John John's sliding down the list, of course. Right. So Connor can easily jump John John, um, and Griffin can as well. And Morgan Siblick is still an unproven entity, despite making the finals here. Yeah, I don't know what he'll do at Surf Ranch. That's a tricky setup and of course chopu that's tricky so yeah we could easily see griffin connor weaseling their way in well let me give you some names that that are sort of in the running right now to to get the number five spot in my opinion these people are six thousand points away right which is kind of a lot but so frederico marias yago dora ryan Callanan, kanoa igarashi griffin and connor those are guys that could take the five spot I mean, that's really what we're talking about, right? The five spot. And, and of them, who will win lowers? Griffin. Yeah. I don't know. Kanoa could win lowers. Nope. He can't. Griffin okay. can. All right. Anyway, uh, here's hoping that we don't jinx Griffin again. Uh, David, great show. Until next time, adios and aloha. Old man, look at my life. I'm a lot like you. my life I'm a lot like you were old man look at my life 24 and there's so much more live alone in a paradise that makes me Love lost such a cost Give me things that don't get lost Like a coin that won't get tossed Rolling home to you
doesn't mean that much to me to mean that much to you I've been first and last look at how the time goes past but I'm all 